0: VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch
1: with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. What's
2: going on, everybody? Timothy Lawson here, host of This Week at VA. It's another uh, exciting episode. We've hit number, uh, what is it, 44, episode 44. We are nearing uh, that round number of 50, almost on a year since we've launched. That'll that'll come up in November. Uh, very excited. Really appreciate everybody's support. We just recently learned that we were nominated for a podcast award uh, in the government and organizations category. We're very humbled and excited about that. Uh, and we got a good episode coming up for you. We're going to talk to Mark Rockefeller, who is an Air Force veteran and the co-founder and CEO of StreetShares. They are a uh, company that funds small businesses, especially veteran-owned businesses. We had a great conversation with Mark. I'm going to talk to you about the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. Weird name, cool office. They help a lot with uh, with veteran-owned businesses, and they have resources and information on contracting, how to get verified, etc., cetera. Uh, and then, of course, we have a veteran of the day. But first, first, we're going to talk about the uh, the Veterans Affairs Choice and Quality Employment Act of 2017. I suppose I, I to say I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to let Secretary Shulkin tell you about it. He was at the signing on Saturday. And uh, he describes, um, preceding the signing, he described the uh, impact and uh, and the value that it brings to uh, bettering our care for veterans.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. I know it's a busy day, uh, but we appreciate um, having the opportunity to recognize yet another tangible improvement that we're making for our country's veterans, those who have served And uh, today, in just a few minutes, the president's going to be signing the VA Choice and Quality Employment Act. Uh, This is a really important piece of legislation, and I do want to recognize that this was passed with bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate. And I also want to thank our veteran service organizations who were there helping us get this important piece of legislation passed for veterans. Many of them are here today, others are not able to join us today. The VA Choice and Quality Employment Act has three important components. The first is that this helps us expand our ability to hire medical center directors and other senior executives to serve in the VA. This is about leadership and it's really important that we get the right leaders helping us to do the job for veterans. The second is that this bill authorizes 28 new facilities, leases, that will be in different parts of the country that provide our veterans with updated facilities, something that, again, we are committed to providing our veterans with world-class care. And third and most important, this bill allows us to continue to be able to provide care in the community for our veterans to make sure that they're getting high quality care and not waiting for care already this year in the first six months of this year we have authorized over 15 million appointments for veterans in the community that's 4 million appointments more than what was uh, experienced at this time last year so we're making a lot of progress in expanding choice This is really a temporary fix. We still have more work to do with Congress and with the President's support. We have to collapse eight different ways of paying for community care into a single program and to simplify it to make it easier for veterans to use and to work better for veterans. And I know with this President's commitment to our country's veterans and his support that we're going to get that done. This is important to him, this is important to me, and important to our veterans.
2: This, this act is just another step uh, in the right direction on improving care uh, for veterans as VA undergoes this transformation. The featured interview this week is with Air Force veteran Mark Rockefeller, CEO and co-founder of Streetshare. StreetShares is a uh, company that helps fund small businesses and especially veteran-owned businesses. Mark has been on my radar for a few years now. I wasn't able to collaborate with him uh, in any of my former endeavors, but when we launched the VA podcast, he was on my short list of people that I wanted to talk to. Just a couple weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go to their headquarters in Reston, Reston, Virginia. Mark and I sat down and we talked about military service. We talked about uh, veteran-owned businesses, talked about veteran entrepreneurship. We talked about funding and uh, and, and everything that goes along uh, with one of those endeavors, I know it's something that isn't talked about much uh, in regards to uh, benefits from VA because the office uh, is small and obviously you know, healthcare education are at the, front, at the front. But I know that it's a topic that veterans are interested in, and so I want to make sure that we bring uh, entrepreneurs around occasionally to have these conversations. So uh, Mark is on this week. I know you're going to love it. Here it is. Mark so. Rockefeller, CEO and co-founder okay. of Street StreetShares. Uh, we were just reminiscing uh, before of when I launched the One Too Many podcast on the yeah. Kickstarter. You invested in that. Um, I've, since then, have been paying attention to Street Shares. I think I'd, I'd, um, I'd ho- thought about putting, getting you on the Veteran Empire podcast at one time, but either didn't reach out or forgot
3: to, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I don't
2: know, some disconnect there. But then when I started doing the podcast for VA, uh, I started mulling through a lot of the guests that I had always thought about bringing on one of my shows, and that haven't yet. And your name yep. was one of the first that made it on my list, so uh, I'm glad that we're finally uh, getting a chance to do this. And yeah, you know, what I, a better I am too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, what a better platform than than VAS, right? Um, Mark, we start every every interview uh, with the, with the same question because uh, there's one thing all my guests have in common. Uh, Why'd you join the United States military? Bring us back to that day for you.
0: Yeah, I was born and raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So there were lots of military families around uh, with the Air Force Academy there and a couple of Air Force bases in Fort Carson and so forth. And so um, lots of my friends' parents were in the military. So it was always sort of around. I had a bit of a personal legacy as well. My uh, dad was in the Air Force during the Vietnam era. Um, My grandfather, one of the very few people uh, that I'm aware of, at least, that was in both World War One, at the age of like seventeen or eighteen, yeah, and World War Two, at the age of I think 42, 43. He got some kind of waiver to like come back in. Holy, sw- did he? Did he get on the ground in World War Two, or he was a Navy Seabee okay. in World War Two, and he was um, uh, Army in World War One. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's a there's a family legacy. Yeah. There's the influence of growing up, and so like anyone, you know, you're sort of influenced by you know these 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 things around you. Um, and I just always respected folks who served in the military. Yeah. Uh, I was an athlete growing up. I was very much a jock, sort of through high school, and that was a big part of who I was. Um, there's a there's a there's a teamwork that you experience on the athletic field. You get that same kind of thing in the military and uh so that was um you know it, it was a combination of it it you know reflected my values uh i wanted to serve i was very appreciative and grateful for the country that i was born into yeah um a family legacy uh you know some influences around me and um you know it was um it was it was similar to being on on an athletic team where you've got a set of sort of like-minded people that self-select Into something, you know, I want to go join that thing and it's going to be hard and there's going to be blood, sweat, and tears But I want to go join that thing Um, And then there's a camaraderie once you're in and so uh, for me, you know, frankly, it was a no-brainer I mean, I I, I, you know, it's um, uh, Something that I'm very glad that I did and it's, you know, certainly shaped Sure, you know, know, like any veteran it shaped who you are moving forward.
2: Yeah, and what year was that?
0: Uh, So I commissioned in 2001. Okay. Yeah, and uh, was in until uh, 2010, so nine years.
2: Yeah. What month in 2001?
0: So I commissioned through ROTC Yeah. Uh, and I delayed by about a month or two um, uh, before entering, so it, it should have been July. Okay. July uh, 2001.
2: Yeah. Uh, a question I often ask anybody who, uh, who was in the military before September 11th and served through it. Is what was the noticeable difference you saw in your in your area of the military and being a just newly commissioned officer um, between September 10, 2001, and mm. September 12, 2001? Talk to us about that 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 change in the military.
0: Yeah, I think there was. so you know, I was um, drinking fr- from a fire hose, trying to learn so much. Anyway, you yeah. know, I, I was a new second lieutenant, trying to figure out what I was doing. Um, but certainly it focused, you know, and brought into perspective like why why we're there. You know, you join because you want to serve, you're learning all about, you know, you know, threats and our response and you know military theory and all of this, and then you have a single event in your life that you go from, you know, watching it on TV to now realizing and I and I think you know you know most of us realize this right away, this is the defining event in our generation. There's no yeah. question, right? And so you're watching something happening and you're trying to process it and understand what does this mean? Who did this? What's the response going to be? And all of those things were were unknown questions, except it was very clear to me that this is the defining event. You know, we are watching this unfold right now. And being in the service allowed me to contribute to that, right? You know, if this is the main event in my generation, Serving in the military during that time allowed me to be a part of our nation's response, and that was very important to me.
2: Did, you, did it make you did it make you more excited about your decision to, to join? Did it make you nervous in any way? Like, what was there any shift in emotion about your about your decision to serve uh, when that happened?
0: Not not nervousness, but it um, the reason why you're there was all of a sudden thrust in your face. Yeah. And so I guess it made it more real. It made it more central. It, it made it more clear. It was clarifying, I think, is the main, you know, the main sort, of, sort of emotional shift.
2: Yeah. Is there a, um, is there a uh, story that you like to recall on often? Maybe there's an experience that uh, you can think of, something that maybe epitomizes your service or summarizes it that, that you can share with us?
0: Well, there's several. I, uh, I was in for long enough to, like anyone, experience uh, a few different jobs. Um, some were great, some were not so great, you know. Yeah. Uh, some, you know, you know, create great stories that you can, you know, uh, tell over beers. Uh, a few are just boring, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, and recognizing that everyone's service is so incredibly different. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's so many different ways that you serve in the military. Yeah. One person's experience is just totally different from, from you know, someone else's.
2: That's, a, that's such a strong um, idea that I think, I even service members, I think, have a hard time wrapping yeah. their heads around, you know, we're so used to just using that blanket term of veteran, and we sort of, um, what's right, we use, sort of use the average of experiences to sort of th- you know think about what it means to serve and who does but I mean if you think the differences between uh, Marine Corps infantryman and a Coast Guard PAO and uh, you know an Air Force JAG officer and you just think of all of those people still have the credit of serving yet their experiences are so different that yeah. none of those yeah. people understand what the other person really even, even went yeah. through.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think those uh, for those who were not in the combat arms, right, like myself, when folks you know, say thank you for your service and your sacrifice and whatever, to be honest, it's like, yeah, listen, um, yes, I signed up. Yeah. And yes, I lost control over my life. You know, I, yeah. I you know, handed that over to Uncle Sam for a period of my life, and he told me where to go and what to do. And I saluted smartly and did my very best job. But you know, to you know, compare my experience to um, you know, uh, an army or um, you know, Marine Corps infantrymen. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm I'm very quick to point out. No, no, listen. There's there's folks at the tip of the spear, and it's those guys, and those yeah. guys deserve that kind of that kind of credit and that kind of respect. Um, yes, I served. Um, certainly, I brought you know whatever talents and education experience I had, and I and I used that you know, in service to my country. But that's very, very different from someone who really put their life on the line. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm the first one to sort of point that out and say, you, you know, it, it was my pleasure to serve, but, you know, really there are, are, are others that really sacrificed a lot.
2: Yeah. I think when, um, for veteran, you know, I wasn't in combat armed either. I was a Marine security guard, yeah. standing on a box pushing buttons in embassies, right? A very, again, another very different experience from, from what people, v- envision when I think of of serving. Uh, So when people say thank you for your sacrifice, I just take it as they're thanking me for uh, (laughs) staying up all night after being up all day, sacrificing my sleep, sacrificing my ability to like visit friends and family and stuff like that and, um, you know, I interpret it the way that even though when they're thanking me for my sacrifice, I know they think of sacrifice in a different way. I just take it in as what I know to be the sacrifices that I made, even though those are drops in a bucket to you know the sacrifices we mentioned before at the tip of the spear um, I just put it through that old f- that filter so I know how to appreciate uh, you know what they're t- what they're saying yeah. to me instead of being like rolling my eyes of like yeah, I sacrificed a lot hanging out in Moscow yeah. Russia <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. No, you're right it, it's it's uh, you know the um, you know the experience between a you know um, you know, army infantryman in, in, in Iraq yeah. uh, and an Air Force chaplet are, are just very different things, yeah. right? But, but, but both of them self-selected into service, yeah. right? Both of them said, um, for this period in my life, I want to take, you know, take my skills and talents and who I am and serve my country with it. Yeah. So that is absolutely worthy of, you know, respect and honor. Uh, you know, regardless of the capacity in which you served, absolutely. Um, but I, I am very quick to point out. You know, listen. There, you know, let's 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 point out who the real heroes are. Yeah. Right. And it's and it's those guys who are you know on the ground doing the very very hard work. Sure. Um, you know, folks like you and I were behind the scenes contributing. You were certainly you know, uh, every marine rifleman. So you were yeah. closer to it than I was. But, um, uh, you know, um, everyone self selected. And and decided to you know you know give up their freedom and their liberty to serve their country for that
2: time and that's you know that is worthy of respect. Sure. Um, so did, uh, do you have a story to share with us? Oh, we, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I distracted yeah, yeah. you. From that. No, that, that was my um, fault. Yeah. So
0: um, uh, I spent a period of time in Iraq on the ground, uh, actually in an army billet, um, working at something called the Central Criminal Court of Iraq. Uh, triple CI and uh, so I was a a military prosecutor at this at this point and I had some international law experience Uh, we mentioned before that I was in The Hague Um, and so they had uh, this team of lawyers that worked under General Petraeus and our job was to bring charges against terrorist suspects in the um, uh, Iraqi federal court so it was a, you know, you could, you could think of it generally as sort of a, you know, you know federal um, Iraq level war crimes, tribunal in essence. And uh, this was a part of the, um, of the surge. And so it was very important that uh, the effort had an all Iraqi caste and an Iraqi face to it, right? Uh, this is the period where, where we're trying to really help the Iraqis build um, a functioning uh, legal and judicial system, so we're training police, we're training lawyers, we're training judges. But all of the evidence against these guys, and, and some very, very bad dudes, was in the hands of U.S. forces because it was uh, you know, you, you know, U.S. infantry, largely, who um, you know, would kick down the door and do the raid and find the evidence, or who were the recipients of whatever attack these guys were engaged in. So it was our guys and gals and our, uh, you, know, you know, evidence uh, that, was, that was used to prosecute these folks. So they had a team of U.S. military lawyers to basically bring these charges alongside an Iraqi prosecutor. So you had an Iraqi judge, an uh, Iraqi defense lawyer, Iraqi prosecutor, and then a U.S. Um, military lawyer bringing these charges as well. And it was a fascinating experience yeah. because um, I've always been a law and order kind of guy. I was very proud to be a prosecutor to sort of, you know, you know bring bring justice, yeah. right? And um, this was just, you know, it was the opportunity to, to, to bring justice in a place where there was none and bring justice, um, you know, to, you know, our guys that had been attacked or, um, you know, Iraqi civilians or Iraqi... Um, Uh, You know allies that were being attacked by these by these folks and so uh, Had the opportunity to bring a lot of you know criminal charges and do some prosecutions against some very very bad people and uh, That was immensely satisfying.
2: Yeah That's um I mean Just recalling back on the everybody has such a such, such a different experience um, that's a unique one, right? Yeah. Very, I mean, I have yeah. been, yeah. I've been podcasting the veteran space for years. I've had thousands like of conversations about with veterans about their, uh, about their time in and that's a new one. Yeah. You know, that's a whole different experience that, uh, that no one has ever expressed. Yeah. Did you, um, did that my, 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 uh, wife one time
0: was asked by a friend, you know, you know, when they asked where her husband was, she she's, well, he's, He's serving in Iraq, and they were like, why do they have lawyers in Iraq, right? <laughs> it's a
2: fair question. Yeah, fair absolutely.
0: Question. Uh, you, know, you have to understand the strategy at the time and what was going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're trying to build a functioning legal and judicial system there. Uh, you know, th- th- this was total chaos at that time, right? And um, the, the, the insurgency would benefit by creating more chaos, turning folks within the tribes and the sects within Iraq against each other and creating an environment where they couldn't trust the local police, they couldn't trust the local judges. Yeah. Uh, as part of the surge, we were trying to you know, you know, build that rule of law um, uh, so that they could trust the local police and they could go you know, to the local judge. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, our, that was our part of this. But it, you know, it put us in the courtroom with some very, very bad guys. It yeah. got us interacting with uh, some of the very, very best of America's you know, tip the spear kind of folks. Um, you know, because, because my, my witnesses were, you know, Army Infantry, Marine Corps Infantry, Special Operators. Um, I would go with them for witness interviews. So, I, I mean, there was, uh, for an Air Force dra- JAG, we got a little bit dirty, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but it was mostly just meaningful. It was, you know, it was, I was doing my part to make sure that these bad guys who attacked our troops or attacked the civilians uh, would not be released and back out there in the streets doing it again. You know, in a couple of months. I mean, that was my job.
2: Yeah. Uh, and uh, what was your? And I apologize, this is poor phrasing, but what was your success rate?
0: Yeah, but I mean, it was. Um, we had lots of lots of options of things that we could do before we took it to this kind of a of a of a trial. Um, so the best way to think of this is, um, if we had a detainee in Iraq, that that you know our our. Um, uh, infantry would uh, round up. There was in essence, I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but there was in essence a file on this person. And some of that information on him or her was um, confidential. And we couldn't disclose it or use it in court, but it led to the military intelligence picture of who this person is. The other data that we had on them was, uh, for lack of a better word, forensic type evidence. So picture, um, you know, a platoon, uh, you know, you know, army platoon. They go and they um, kick down the door. They do some kind of a raid. They secure the building, and then they 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 literally put on the, you know this this sort of like CSI now uh, mode, and they're collecting evidence. They're drawing diagrams. They're taking photographs. Mm. They're they're interviewing witnesses. They're bagging things, uh, which to me is incredible that you have people who. Ten minutes earlier, we're breaching a door, not knowing what's on the other side of it, right? Incredible risk. And then you're asking these young people to, okay, now bring the adrenaline down, bring the heart rate down, get out your notepad and camera, and become a CSI forensic investigator, right? That is, in essence, what they did, right? Um, And they would gather all that evidence. It would go into the file that we had on this detainee. And then there were a series of panels, basically, that would look at the detainee and determine what to do with them, uh, release them, detain them, or send them on down the, on down the road. Uh, at the end of that road, in essence, was um, our team in Baghdad that would actually bring criminal charges against them in the Iraqi court. So by the time it got to us, we had pretty good evidence, yeah. you know, against them. Okay. Uh, we had military intelligence evidence that we we either had to get declassified and try to use it in court, or we couldn't use it, but at least it painted the picture who this person who was a little bit. Sure. Or we had, uh, or and we had the actual forensic evidence that our that our that our guys um, collected that we could use in court. So those same folks would come down as witnesses. And we would show, you know, photographs and videos and, and eyewitness testimony and diagrams and, you know, everything that you see on TV in a courtroom, we would, we would do it. But we're doing it in this, you know, dusty courthouse in Iraq with, yeah. with you, know, you know, U.S. soldiers as the, the witnesses. So um, our success rate was very good, um, mostly because uh, if the evidence wasn't strong, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it down to our level.
2: Yeah. So, uh, commission in 2001, when did you transition out? uh 2010 okay yeah so july of, and what prompted of, of, that
0: of the 2010. um i mean it was it was it was time to move on to some other other stuff so yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, you know, was in was a um uh, i think i was up from my major's board i'm sure that would have been fine but uh you know it was um you know, the, the, there's a window i think for a lot of folks in the military um and um uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, do their four or their, or their five and get out or they stay in for, you know, you know, for longer. Um, and so I think there's sort of windows where you make decisions. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, it was time to move on.
2: Uh, answer this at uh, whatever comfort level you have, but sure. a lot of veterans, when they transition out in the first year or two, they face emotional challenges, emotional crisis. Is that, any, is that anything that you experienced? Um, not really. Okay. Not
0: really. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, you know, again, I was not exposed you know, I, I was in a convoy that came under attack one time in Iraq, uh, but that was fairly minor, minor small arms fire. Uh, I was not exposed to the kinds of things that a lot of veterans were exposed to, right? Um, for me, it was more, there, there was a sense of purpose when I was in the military, and you get out, and it's kind of like, what's, what's my new purpose? Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that's so, the follow-up
2: question, is how yeah. long did it take you to find that renewed purpose?
0: So, um, you know, I had a law degree, I had an MBA. Um, so being very very honest, you know, I had some real advantages when yeah. it comes to transitioning, right? Um, and so uh, jumped into a grad school program actually, and you know that was a nice transitionary type type period. Did you use a GI Bill um, for that. I did absolutely, nice. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you know, very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, and then you know from there went to um, I work as a lawyer at a, at a Wall Street law firm. Uh, here in their D.C. office, uh, which, you know, gave me some of the knowledge and background that I needed to, to eventually start street StreetShares. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about StreetShares. Yeah. Um, 2013? Am I, am I hitting that right? So, uh,
0: my co-founder and I left our jobs in 2013 Okay. and left all paychecks, left, <laughs> left everything, to move into my basement and give this thing a go. Okay. Uh, we actually launched in in July of 2014. Okay. Yeah. So it took some time to you know build a prototype and get it, get it up and going.
2: So one of the um, one of the things that I've, le- I've learned from a lot of veterans, um, I've recently, uh, I think, I don't think he was on the podcast, but when we were t- doing his video veteran of the day, uh, Nick Carnesi, who does Stubble and Stash. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we were talking about how uh, we understand. You know. A little bit more resources for uh, veteran entrepreneurs um, at the VA, or even with the Department of Labor, or something could really, uh, I think, benefit. Um, I mentioned this a number of times on the podcast. World War II veterans, I think, had a, I think, over 50% came home and started their own business.
0: Yeah, the uh, the the best stat out of Syracuse is forty nine percent. So you're right, I mean it's it's a yep. lot. Okay. It's, I mean it's a lot. There yeah. is a legacy in America, no question. Yeah. Of veterans leaving the service and starting businesses.
2: Yeah. And yeah. your your co-founder is a veteran of South Africa. South African, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, and right here, you know, you're 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 here uh, uh, in our office now. We employ thirty people here outside of D.C. Ten of them are veterans. Okay. Uh, and then a couple more that are children of veterans, sure. or uh I think we have one that's uh um about to be or actually i i shouldn't say this maybe she's either dating or engaged to a a marine <laughs> yeah. um, anyway there's lots of interest in in veterans around here yeah <laughs> so. so when
2: you make that decision now you you've had you had some experience um, um through um, sorry through your m b a and and yeah. stuff but uh i think what as any entrepreneur knows, it's it's confusing. Yeah, very. even e- as much research as you can do, as many business-related podcasts you can listen yep. to, uh, there's something about the nooks and crannies of, of business when it comes to finances or marketing or whether or not you know this is you know you're you're in the right legal space here. How did you navigate all of that? Yeah, I mean... Um, and I know that's probably a question yeah, you weren't uh, yeah. anticipating today, but I think a lot of veteran potential entrepreneurs are wanting the same thing. Like, I wanna do that. How do, how do you even begin to navigate that process? Um, I didn't start
0: by looking at resources available to veterans, and I should have. Uh, if I could do it over again, it would have been easier and more efficient yeah. to start with some of the great resources from the VA and SBA and great resources from, um, you know, you know, uh, private sector groups that are out there, the Bunker Network, yep. vet to ceo uh, Street Chairs Foundation, our own group, um, IVMF out of Syracuse. Um, yeah. The- uh, Second week on the the veterans. I mean, they're, they're yeah. awesome, they're yeah. awesome, right? I mean, they've been training veteran entrepreneurs now for, I, I think they're coming up on a decade. I mean, yeah. right? Um, uh, I mean, there's some very, very good resources that folks should turn to first. At the time, I was not sort of turned on or aware uh, to the the resources that were out there for veterans. Um, I was in New York City. I was coming out of a grad school program, so I had kind of other resources, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was uh, you know I wasn't yet yet uh, really aware of what was out there for veterans until I started this job and began to, you know, get involved in that community. Um, and now I think we're sort of a c- central node, I think, in that you know you know in that community of folks that are preparing. Um, uh, veterans for Entrepreneurship. But there, there's amazing resources.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for uh, for listener, you know, before they hear this interview, uh, they would have heard a quick synopsis on Street Shares, but uh, briefly describe uh, what the mission of Street Shares is and what you're looking to accomplish.
0: Yeah, so Street Shares is social finance for the military community. And so we are a community, we now have um, uh, all in, we've got almost 58,000 members now. Um, the vast majority are veterans. There's a lot that are, um, you know, spouses and family members of, uh, and there's some folks that just love veterans and support them. And the the you know, you know purpose of this of this this platform is to um, fund veteran entrepreneurs. So a very unique challenge that our generation has that prior generations didn't. Right. So we spot, we. We spoke about the you know, number of veterans after World War II that left and became entrepreneurs. Yeah. And they were like a major driver for those you know, sort of golden economic years that followed, followed World War II. Our generation uniquely has left the service by and large in the wake of the financial crisis. So you've got the same legacy, the same desire of veterans to leave and start businesses, but we're separating from the service in the wake of the crisis. Right. So I came back from Iraq, for example, in the summer of 08, uh, May 2008. Yeah. So the spring is when the whole crisis began. Right. Bear Stearns collapsed. Uh, Lehman Brothers collapsed in uh, in the fall and everything sort of went downhill from there. So I was simply representative of a generation of veterans who wanted to do what our grandparents did, start a business like our, like our grandparents did after World War II. But for us, this massive wall of the financial crisis is just, just erected right in our way, right? And so, um, street shares is the antidote for that. Street shares is the solution to that problem, which says, okay, fine, if the banks aren't lending, if the traditional financial institutions aren't gonna help us, let's turn to each other. Because you've got a whole bunch of veterans that are looking at, you know, places to invest, they generally would prefer to invest in their fellow veterans, all things being equal. Yeah, and then you got a bunch of veterans that are starting businesses, right? All, we just match those up in a in a logical way, right? So we are the community where veterans go to get their business funded, or they go to support veterans entrepreneurship by investing in them.
2: So, um, so is it are you're, you're finding people that are helping fund these, or? Uh, or street shares the ones that are funding the businesses? How, how, is, how does that work from who is providing the money to who is receiving the money? So it's both. Okay. When we started, it was mostly coming from,
0: from individual investors who um, just supported veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, as we've grown though, we've, we've sort of hit a scale where you actually need um, very ready, reliable capital. Yeah. You know? So the problem with, 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 say, crowdfunding, for example, is you have a need, and then you have to go and find the crowd, and the you know business's need may or may not be met by the crowd. We want to take out that uncertainty and make sure that they get funded. And so we do it with other sources of capital, our own capital now, and then we offer retail investors or the crowd, if you will, an opportunity to participate in that, but, but we're not reliant on them. We can, we can fund it either way. So it's almost a hybrid, frankly, yeah. between kind of a crowd
2: lending model uh, and a bank. And so what is, what is a, um, if a veteran listening has a business idea or just just established their LLC, whatever yeah. it may be, um, like what do they need to be considered for?
0: Yeah, yeah, so let's walk through a couple of different, different stages here because it depends on what life cycle your business is in. Okay. So if you are pre-revenue, right, so either you have an idea and haven't launched yet or you formed your company but, but, but you don't have any sales or revenue yet, um, I would start at the Street shares Foundation. there's, there's educational resources, there's a grant program. Um, the best kind of money when you're first starting is free money <laughs> right yeah. so, so you go for you know you know all the grants and free money that you can get. Uh, Street shares Foundation is one of those. Once you have some revenue now you're going to need a kind a, 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 a dollar size um, where you won't be able to find that from, from grant money yeah. right. And so at that point then um, you should apply for a street shares loan. Uh, typical minimal um, uh, requirements uh, are 25K in revenue, about a year in business. Uh, major exception is if you're a government contractor and you've got a government contract, it makes it a lot easier for us yeah. to then fund you because um, you, know, you have that contract so we know that you're gonna get paid, yeah. right? Um, and so you know, street shares, we have term loans, we have lines of credit and then if you are a government contractor frankly of any size we have a whole suite of products that are that are, that are just made to help those veteran government contractors um, uh, get across the finish line. Uh, a you know, real, real um, success area for veterans is in government contracting. right? So you can have a very small veteran owned business but you land a government contract and oh by the way you have preferential treatment typically in getting those contracts because of the set-asides um, so those are, you know, government programs designed to make sure that a certain percent of government contracts go to veteran-owned businesses. Uh, in particular, if you're disabled, and uh, you know, a very small veteran-owned small business can grow very, very quickly, uh, and do extremely well in the government contracting space. Yeah. But it's hard for them to sort of get there when they get that first contract because. You know, the federal government's like, congratulations, here's a $5 million contract, your first one. And the veteran business owner says, that's excellent, but I need like $200,000 to stand up and perform on this contract. Yeah. Hire people, equipment, you know, whatever it is. If they go to a bank, the bank's not gonna lend to them, right? Because there's no assets there. Their business isn't already producing cash. Yeah. There's nothing that they can sort of leverage, right? Uh, we will do that because we take the contract into consideration. So, um, we fund all kinds of veteran-owned businesses from, you know, mom and pop, Main Street retailers, manufacturing. Uh, we've had uh, two that have appeared on Shark Tank. Nice. This uh, so is very, What's very two? cool... Which uh, Major Mom. Okay. To Major Mom. Yeah. yeah so, um, uh, Angela. So, this is a, um, uh, it's a house, house organization business and she has a franchise model. Uh, and then Griff at uh, Combat Flip Flops.
2: Combat Flip Flops. Yeah. We yeah. actually
0: gave Griff his, his first loan. I believe you can ask him that. But okay. I, I think it was his first one.
2: Let's reach out to him. to get him on the podcast. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. awesome.
0: Uh, great example of a successful veteran entrepreneur. Right? Yeah. So we you know we we fund the Griffs of the world and the Angelas of the world all the way through these you know government contractors that are doing things like you know like security or providing you know any kind of good good or service to to, to the government. So yeah. Yeah, so the whole spectrum, if you're a veteran business owner, there's no place that treats you better than street shares. Uh, there's no question.
2: Yeah. What, um, from, like, that's the right way to ask this. Um, what sort of, like, relationships do you establish with with the veteran, then? Like, is it, because um, I think when, when people think being funded, I think they think of these binary um, transactions of like here's my numbers, you compare if those numbers make sense and then there's agreement and then it's just like automatic transactions happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it closer to that or is there there more of a, like uh, are your staff more familiar with who these veterans are and like know their story? Like what sort of relationships do you establish? It is much more relational. Okay. Much more
0: relational. So we use technology to, you know, leverage all the boring stuff like collecting documents and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, Helping, helping the veteran you know, find the best resource, depending on their, on their stage and their need, is a very personal, relational thing. Um, one of the challenges, I think, in financial services, generally, is that it tends to be transactional. You know, one person needs money, the other person is investing money, they do quick exchange, and that's it. The basic theory at StreetShares is that if you bring a population together where there's already a basis for trust, and as we talked about in the beginning, you know, regardless of where you served in the military, we all self-selected to go and serve. So there's that basis for trust, that there's that commonality, right? Something drew you to service just like it drew me, and that creates a bond between you and I that's very, very different from you walking into a you know, you know, bank or something downtown. So the, the premise here is if we can bring you know, lenders and investors and businesses who need money together through that common bond of trust that we can actually make the process better for everybody. So if the veteran small business owner knows that the capital behind this loan isn't coming from some monolithic distant bank on Wall Street, but it's coming from his fellow veterans who are, you know, investing their retirement yeah. in his business, I think he'll try a little harder. Yeah. I really do. And I think he'll go the extra mile to make sure they get paid back. And On the other side, folks are very, very happy to to invest in a place where they can both do good and do well. You know, know, it's very hard in America to find a place where you can put your money to work and kind of feel good about what you're, you know, what it's Mm -hmm. doing, right? Um, We offer that. And so we, in essence, capture the trust that exists between veterans. And we use that to make these transactions more personal, de-risk the loan, and if I can de-risk the loan, then I can charge veterans a lower interest rate when they borrow, and I can give investors a more certain return when they invest their lend. Yeah. So we're doing what you know a bank can't do, or you know some predatory online lender can't do, and that's take a common you know community of people, bring them together, and use that mutual trust to improve a financial arrangement.
2: What skill set, discipline or talent did you learn in the military that you think is contributing to your success today? Um, leadership of people, right?
0: So my co-founder and I you know, you know, know, lead a team of 30, we're rapidly, rapidly growing. Uh, and by the way, always hiring, especially great veterans, so <laughs> come um, and apply. Uh, you and know, we, we've been told that our team culture here has a bit of a military thing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, actually, we've 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 won some awards on the on the on the culture front for a startup, um, and it's because we you know have a bit of sort of esprit de corps. We have a sense of mission. Uh, people who work here get up every day and know that they're going to help veterans get lower cost loans. They're going to help veterans invest. They're going to interact with great people. Uh, they get up knowing that they can do good and do well, and that's an exciting you know thing. Uh, that leadership, that ability to sort of cast a vision and then organize people around that um, unquestionably came from military service. Yeah. Um, there's some more perfunctory things like, you know, logistics and administration, some of those things that you kind of learn, yeah. which are frankly boring, but really, really important. Yeah. Right? Um, I would say how to uh, relate to very different groups of people. Right. W- one of the great things about being a a veteran is you get all kinds of people that volunteer to serve right from different backgrounds different you know races genders religious beliefs philosophies just ge- you know geographies a very very diverse set of people you know join the military what, one of the great things I loved about it was w- we were all together because we had this common set of beliefs and yet, yet, yet we were so different right it was a very neat diverse team right um, that that has helped me as well here because in the military I related to a lot of very very different people, and had to learn how to you know communicate effectively with them or yeah. um, you know bring them along or inspire them or whatever. Sure. Um, and so the diversity of I think
2: um, social experiences that you have in the military is is also a big benefit. Yeah. Um, We've mentioned a handful already in this interview, but tell me a veteran or a veteran organization um, that has you excited right now about what they're doing. So um,
0: I'm pretty excited about some of the younger generation of um, VSOs that are out there, right? So your your RWBs, your Team Rubicons. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, we, 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 we work with, with, with the American Legion as well, some of the older ones, mm-hmm. they get it and they're pivoting and they're sort of realizing, my goodness, you know, the Iraq Afghanistan generation is joining these other groups and not ours and yeah. so they're, they're changing their ways too, which is great. So, um, you know, you have a uh, you know series uh, or, or a set of veteran service organizations, both new ones and the traditional ones that are now pivoting to make sure that they meet the needs of the Post 9/11 generation of veterans, uh, and that's really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting because we're not like our grandparents' generation in so many ways, yeah. right? You know, this sort of millennial generation of veterans is very, very different. We still want, want to be business owners and entrepreneurs, that, you know, the way that they were, but we're a lot more sort of, um, you know, technology-driven. Uh, our social activities now are different. You know, sort of like getting together at the at the VFW for a you know for a drink. Isn't, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we want to like get together and, you know, do CrossFit and work yeah. out and do the, you know, team RWB, um, RWB kind of stuff. So, um, you know, uh, both traditional VSOs and some of the newer ones get that. And so they're, they're, they're pivoting now to tailor to the younger, you know, younger veterans. So, yeah, um, yeah there's, there's some very, uh, you know, very exciting things going on in the veteran space right now.
2: Mark, I appreciate your time. I just have one more question yeah. for we wrap up. Why is it called Street Shares? How'd you land on that? Maybe?
0: Yeah, yeah. So very funny, sort of. So we're we're we're, we're kind of geeky around here, and we're very sort of analytical, um, uh, analytics driven, data driven. So we actually did some focus groups. Okay. And we held a couple of focus groups, and the funny thing is, the the name Street Shares was the second most popular in each of our focus groups. Uh, this is back in 2013, 2014. And the first most popular were urls that we couldn't afford to buy at the time oh wow <laughs> so yeah okay so when, you, when you start a business in this day and age one of the big limiting factors is what urls are available right yeah. um, and so basically it was it was sort of the the nexus of people liked it they got it um, and it was available from a url perspective that's great and so yeah so there's 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 both a you know uh you know cool reason why it's named street Chairs and a rather boring one yeah but, uh,
2: yeah very well that's it Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time Uh, and I appreciate uh, not only your your service and sacrifice to our country, but your continued service to veterans uh, through funding veteran-owned businesses. It's great. Well, thank you and thanks to the VA for all the great work they do.
3: There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each of the 168 VA medical centers nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 1-855-VA-WOMEN or one 855 829 6636 or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash women vet.
2: Really great conversation with Mark. I know that you uh, enjoyed that conversation, a lot of great insights, such great stories uh, from Iraq. Uh, you know, the, the story about um, just the way that soldiers were taking care of a, of a scene after um, busting down a door and then securing the area and then uh, collecting evidence and such. It's, it's really fascinating. I want to talk to you about the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. The mission is to enable veterans to gain access to economic opportunity by leveraging the federal procurement system and expanding participate participation of procurement ready small businesses. Uh, so essentially, what they can do is they can provide resources for doing business, there's a portal there, uh, they can help with acquisitions and contracting support. So you can become familiar with federal procurement policies, the management of VA small business goals and the administration of VA contract awards supported through acquisitions. And then lastly, uh, they can help you get verified. You can get verified through Vets First Verification Program to, perci- to participate in the Veterans First Contracting Program. So uh, if you're an entrepreneurship and you're not not necessarily interested, if you're like ah oh, really contracting isn't really my thing, that's fine. V- they can still point you in the right direction for resources that you need uh, to grow your business. If you're interested in government contracting, etc., uh, and you are a veteran-owned business, they can make sure that you are put in the right position. Uh, to be competitive and, and, to, um, and to get those contracts uh, va.gov osdbu that's va.gov oscar sierra delta bravo uniform uh, is where you can go for everything that i just described plus more if you're a veteran owned if you're a veteran entrepreneur veteran owned business i highly suggest you checking out the resources they have at that page Today's Veteran of the Day is Marine Corps Veteran Robert Estrada. Robert was excited about joining the Marines right after high school, and he served in the Marine Corps for eight years as an engineer. Uh, he was a McMap instructor. That's the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program instructor, and a Marine Security Guard, which uh, is near and dear to my heart. I spent three years uh, joining on the MS3 program as well. So we thank Robert for his service. Uh, if you'd like to read robert's full write-up go to v- blogs.va.gov there's also information on every v- veteran of the day post that we do there's information on how to nominate your own veteran of the day so we can recognize them that's it for episode 44 another great episode from this week at va i'm super stoked to keep this going i, I appreciate the listens i see the the measures growing and i uh, it makes me excited It makes me want to bring a better product each and every week you can follow us on Twitter at D-E-P-T, vet Affairs for more from our community. We share stories, we share videos, we share uh, not only stories that we put on our site, but stories uh, even more so stories from uh, other news outlets and other um, efforts uh, that cover veteran community. If you have a question you'd like to have addressed here on the show, you can tweet them to us using hashtag VAPodcast or email us newmedia at va.gov. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.